Well, good morning. Welcome to Journey Church. We are so glad that you're here, whether you're joining us in person or on Facebook or on our websites or you're listening on this podcast. We're so glad that you're here with us and we hope that you feel the love of Jesus in this place or wherever you are uh, because his heart is, is towards us. Amen. Amen. I'm very grateful that Randy has given me the opportunity to speak today, and uh, I'm going to do my best to fill in for him. If you're new here today, uh, it's going to get better next week, so make sure you come again. <laughs> it's okay. It's, it, it does get better than this, uh, you know. But reality is, this morning we need more than what I have to offer. This morning we need more than what, um, what any one person can offer us, don't we? We need what God has for us this morning in this place. We need his voice. We need to keep our ears attuned to what he has for us this morning. So I'm going to pray, and I I ask that you join me in asking God to speak to us this morning and to really do a work in our hearts. God, we are grateful to be here in your house, to be worshiping you. And Lord, I pray that in the midst of this time, in the midst of this worship, in the midst of this message, God, that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted high. That the words that I say, God, that are eternal and of you would remain with us. And the things that I say that are of me and that are just broken or temporal, God, that they would pass away quickly. God, allow your way to be had in this time that we share together. And grow us and challenge us in your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing on the service that we've been calling, uh, series, excuse me, that we've been calling Blessed. And when we hear people say, I'm blessed, they describe, to describe what they have, uh, we can actually kind of wonder, what does that really mean to them? You know, we're not really sure. Do we really understand how blessed we actually are? Who's those blessings come from? Who those blessings come from, excuse me? Or what the responsibility of being blessed really implies for the believer? You know, um, when I'm thinking about blessed at this time, I have something that I'm really excited to share with you is that me and Leanne are blessed to be receiving a new member of our family here very soon. So I get to share that with you all. And it's a huge blessing for us. We're so excited. We can throw up a picture real quick there. There he or she is. Yes, it is a baby, as you can see. as written clearly on there. So we know, even us guys out there in the audience, we know. Um, but we are so excited. And we do feel blessed. But we use that word and we throw it around so often and we don't really take the time to understand what God intends for us when he promises blessings in our lives a lot of the time. You know, hashtag blessed goes thrown up all the time on Facebook. Sometimes it's a joke, sometimes it's real, sometimes we wonder how much we actually understand the real blessings that we do have. You know, last week Randy shared about how God owns everything. And now that makes us stewards. But what's that really mean? For us to be stewards of God's blessings. Well, today we're going to take a look into what stewardship is, and we're going to look at our lives. Maybe most importantly, we're going to talk about why God calls us to be his stewards, and good stewards at that. I believe the lack of understanding of this issue is a major reason that we're being robbed from living the lives of freedom and peace that God has for us. Without developing stewardship mindset in each of us, we truly, we will never truly, excuse me, find the fulfillment God has for us. So buckle up with me as we take a deep dive into stewardship this morning. So when we say stewardship, what do we mean? Webster's Dictionary defines it as the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. Stewardship isn't often talked about in our day and age. 
Society drives us to the pursuit of personal ownership and emphasizes the joy of accumulating things. But God's kingdom turns that upside down, doesn't it? It encourages us to recognize the truth that God is the one who owns everything. And ultimately, our job is to carefully and responsibly manage what he entrusts to us. Jesus tells a story that emphasizes this mindset in Luke 12, verses 15 through 21. And we're going to go there because I really want this truth to sink into us right at the beginning of this message. We need to pick up what God is telling us about this and run with it. Verse 15 says, And he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, the night, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Where was this person looking for their fulfillment and their satisfaction, for their peace in life? They were looking for it in their possessions, their resources, what they had to offer for themselves. And did they, were they able to find that? No, I mean, they, they, he, he died before he could even appreciate what he had. You know, personal ownership cannot bring us lasting fulfillment because we're not lasting ourselves. Jesus reminded us in this passage that even though he entrusts us with material possessions, we're ultimately to find our worth in him, not his gifts. We need to live rich toward God, not toward ourselves. This is really hard. So the word toward here is interesting as you look at it. In the Greek, it's literally translated as under. So we are to live under God and is talking about moving into a relationship with something or in this case, someone. So God's calling us to actively acknowledge his ownership in what he's given to us. So as stewards, we take control over it, but it's not ours. Much like a renter takes control over a property, but it's not theirs. I've always rented apartments and homes in my life, I, I, I liked the idea of buying a home, but I just can't get over how much easier it is to rent, honestly. Um, hot water heater goes, and I make a call, and the problem's solved. You know, there's a leak in the roof, and I call the landlord, and it comes out of their bank account, not mine, which is a great thing. Um, so, yes, thank you. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's kind of hard to think about buying a home in the midst of it. But... Um, Many of you might have known, if you've been around here for a while, that my dad passed away, has gone on to be with the Lord. And so in the midst of that, we went ahead and decided to move in with my mom to help take care of her. So we just took the money that we had for rent and have put that towards the mortgage. So essentially, we're renters from her, almost in a way. Now, she wouldn't view it that way. She is very welcoming, and, and we feel at home there. But uh, we're taking on, you know, some of the bills and we're moving things into our name because we're happy to be close enough to be able to help out with her, you know, to be able to come alongside her and support her in the middle of this time, you know. And there's a lot that's actually happening 
as we make room for our family. We're putting an addition for her downstairs. She's paying for it. We're not paying for it, you know, but I've been overseeing the process. You know, I've been getting the papers together, talking to builders. I've, you know, been involved, involved her in the design of it all. And we're ultimately, you know, I'm just managing it for her. This is her addition. This is her house. It's not mine. So I've never been a bad renter. Okay, I, I feel like I've always done a good job of taking care of other people's property. But I've never called an engineer. I've never developed a plan with an architect for a house that I've rented before. You know, I did all these things, though, because my mom is special to me. I love her. And she needed me to. You know, I've been grateful for most landlords I've had, but I've never felt anywhere near like I feel towards my mother, towards a landlord. It's just the truth, you know? Relationship matters. The relationship I have with my mom drives me to be a much more involved tenant and renter. And now I've always done my best to take care of properties. I've done some small repairs and, and not had asked them to pay for it. I've not asked them to take it out of rent. You know, so I've helped people out a little bit down the road. But when I moved in with the woman who raised me, who taught me to walk, taught me to talk, loved me to Jesus... The level of buy-in that I had in that home increased exponentially. It wasn't mine, but I cared for it more because I cared for her. So what should our buy-in be when it comes to being stewards for the kingdom of God? When we encounter Jesus in a real way, we see his love for us, and it's impossible for us not to be stewards who want to do well for our master. Amen? Wait, wait. Do, do we want to do well for our master, Jesus? Okay, all right, good. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page there. All right, so our commitment to stewardship is directly linked to the type of relationship we have with Jesus. Okay? So many Christians seek to live as stewards for God. And there's a problem there, okay? Because God doesn't just want us to live for him. He wants us to live with him. Okay? If this happens to us, we'll quickly find ourselves distracted and conflicted when tough choices come. Look, we've all been guilty of this at some point. We have the best of intentions and somehow we fall short. We focus on the blessings that we have instead of the one who owns those blessings. And we get sidetracked and become lost in them. We need to hold fast to Jesus, allowing him to transform our lives and open up a whole world of blessing that we never knew existed. So we face a huge problem in that pursuit, okay? Because when it comes to viewing our lives as stewards instead of owners of property, um, advertisements, our culture are just not helping us. They're not setting us up in any way to do anything except for just to be about owning it all. So we get pushed and pulled between claiming ownership of our lives personally and declaring God as the sole owner of all that we have. And who are we, you know, um, to go ahead and and go ahead and say to God, you, you don't own what we have. You know, you don't own who I am. Sounds like I have a lot to lose, though, if I honor God's ownership of my life. You know, all that I am, who I am, all that I have, but nothing could be further from the truth. So how do we experience that whole new world of blessing that comes by giving up the blessings that I so enjoy and feel are my own? 
I want to give you three examples, and there are more, but I want to give you three examples of how God wants to bless us through recognizing his ownership of everything. And God isn't being greedy here to say that he owns us and all that we have. Because God wants to give us things that we could never get for ourselves. So, these things only come when we get our heads out of the blessings that we've received and begin to focus on him instead. The first of these things that God wants to give us as his stewards is the peace that passes all understanding. That's a quote of a verse, but God wants to give us real peace that can't be shaken by this life. If God's ultimately the owner of everything we have, we can be at peace no matter what happens to us because he's going to take care of what's going on. He's going to make sure it's taken care of. So think of how I was talking about the renter and the owner previously. You know, as a renter with a good landlord, you have an issue. You can call that landlord, and they'll go ahead and take care of it. Now, you may have to be aware that there's something in the house that isn't fixed. Like, if your hot water heater goes out, you better be ready for a cold shower if you wake up and step in the bathroom. But beyond that, you know that it's getting done, that 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 landlord is taking steps to make sure you have a good home again. How much more is God, our Heavenly Father, going to take an interest in our lives? We can trust Him. As believers, we can lean on God when something happens that we aren't ready for. An unexpected job transition, an expense, a car accident, or even something like our house burning down. God has a way through these hardships. Now, saying that He has a way through these hardships doesn't mean we can sit back and do nothing. God expects us to use the resources he's provided for us. But we don't have to bear the weight of solving the problem because he's got it under his control. Instead, we turn to God in prayer and we cry out to him for his provision and direction amidst whatever life throws at us, holding tight to his promises, like the promise he makes to us in Luke 12, 22 through 24. He says, Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, That is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food, and your body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plan or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. So now, we've come to the second thing that God wants to provide for us. Contentment. And we know that God wants us to be content, because as his children... He cares about us. and He's not going to leave us or forsake us. You know, God is greater than any earthly father, and we can rely on his promises to find that contentment in our lives. But what about when the problem isn't God when it comes to contentment and the problem lies with us? One of the biggest reasons why people refuse to recognize God's ownership of their lives is they're unwilling to give up control of their finances. It's all too easy to get caught up in what we want from our finances and miss what God wants to do through them. This is going to be some hard stuff, so stick with me here for this, please. Our consumer culture is horrible when it comes to helping us live with contentment. It tells us that there's always something more for us to get. There's always something more for us to be after. We see it in all the advertisements. People are happy when they consume that product, when they go out and they purchase something, they bring it home. That brings happiness. That brings joy. The reality is, God is the one who's going to bring what we really need. He's the one who's going to bring us joy and happiness. He's our provider, and when we put him first and trust him with what we want, he promises to provide all of our needs. 
We read about this again in Matthew 6, 31 through 33. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Culture tells us that if we don't worry about ourselves, no one else will. But God says, I'm your provider. Look to me. I've given you everything that you need, and I'm not going to stop now. I know all this can sound crazy, and I can tell you that Leanne and I started tithing. It was really hard for us. It hurt in a lot of ways. You know, if you're sitting there and you haven't started to tithe yet, and you're saying, I just don't know if I can make the plunge because it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. We weren't sure where we were going to buy, you know, diapers or formulas with. You know, we, we were trying to figure out how that was happening. We just had a boy, baby boy, Boston, you know, our first one. And, and, you know, deciding to go ahead and give to God like that was a leap of faith for us. But I'm so grateful that we did it. God was faithful in providing for everything that we needed and even more than what we needed. And let me tell you, the blessings that he provided in our life were more than monetary. He gave us that peace. He gave us that contentment. He supplied that stuff for us, the things that we couldn't purchase on our own because we found a way to tangibly trust him and step out in faith. You know, this reminds me of another time that God provided for us and a moment, honestly, where I almost blew it in that realm. The first time we came to Versailles, Leanne and I were driving from Asbury Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky, up to Michigan. And I got to admit, when we drove through, we just loved this town. <laughs> we thought it was amazing. We loved the feel of the area. Um, and we started talking about how we'd love to live here. And right at that moment, I began to realize that I was starting to let the life that I thought I could have, if I just lived someplace different, become more important than what God wanted us to be. I knew that God had was preparing me for ministry somewhere. I didn't know where. I didn't know what. And all of a sudden, this idea of us living here in Versailles was becoming more, more enticing than following God's call, wherever it would take me. So in that moment, in that place of crisis, I started to feel in my spirit just what I feel like is God's tangible urge to us, the power of the Holy Spirit, how he tells us things. And I just felt like he was saying to me, why don't you ask me for that? <laughs> Do you really think that you're the only one who wants good things for your family? And so we just stopped and we asked God for that. We gave it to him. We prayed and we left it with him. We still liked for sales. We still thought it was great, but, but we committed that to God. You see, what we were doing was giving ownership of our destiny to God. Because although we knew what we wanted, we were making a tangible confession that God's way was going to be better for us. That what he wanted for us was going to ultimately lead to more fulfillment and satisfaction. Now, the beautiful thing about that is that two years later, God would call me out of full-time education at the seminary and into ministry again. And where did he bring me? To Journey Church. To this community that he had already started to get us to love. 
It's just so cool to see how God works. And he doesn't do that all the time. But he loves to do that with his kids. But here's the thing about when God gives you a gift. He never wants you to go ahead and get so enamored with that gift that you lose track of him as the giver. He's never going to give you something that's going to separate you from him. Because in that moment when you're separated from him, you have all of a sudden lost the benefit of that gift or that blessing. And you see, God wanted to do something with us in bringing us here to this community. But we had to be ready for it. We had to be willing to put him first. Because if we start valuing the gift more than the giver, giver, excuse me, we'll use them for small and selfish reasons instead of the great plans God has in store for us. Now that brings us to the third thing that God wants for us, to live lives that really make a difference in this world. You see, when we look at God as the owner, we start to tie all our resources, talents, and gifting into his plan, his kingdom. We look at them not from a self-centered perspective, but from a God-centered perspective. You know, and I know no one who doesn't want to live a life that makes a difference. They want to impact their family. They want to impact their, their work. They want to go ahead and leave some kind of a legacy that's lasting. But without us being pointed towards God and his heart, we're not going to do anything that lasts truly. We're not going to be focusing on what is eternal, bringing people to the feet of Jesus. And when we focus on what he wants, we're going to go ahead and see him reorient things. In fact, as we focus more on Jesus and his word, we begin to see life from his perspective. And he enables us to steward the blessings he has provided through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is how we can live lives that honor God first and leave a legacy that changes this world for the, gl- <clears throat> excuse me, for the glory of God. You know, there's a parable... Uh, a story that Jesus tells his disciples, and it's called the parable of the talents, or the three servants. And we're going to tell us a little bit about this, but first I want to give some context to this parable, some context. Jesus is talking with his disciples about the future, and actually about the end of the world. And he gives them some warnings, and then he starts telling these stories, or parables, to his disciples about the kingdom of heaven. And to save some time, we're not going to actually read the parable itself, but I want to encourage you to go to Matthew 25, 14 through 29, and read that on your own time, because it's a great parable. It's challenging, and I think we can get some great stuff from it. So let's start running down, running down it. Jesus begins this story by telling us about a man who's going on a long trip, and he gathers his servants together and entrusts them with his money while he's gone. We see that his servants, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. We see that there are three servants and that they've received different amounts of money based on their abilities. We know these servants are also stewards of their master's money because they have entrusted, been entrusted to manage it. The servants either do something with the bags of silver, doubling the money entrusted to them, or they do nothing with it and for all intents and purposes just sit on the bag of silver. After a long time, the master returns to take an account of how they've managed his money And he sees how each servant stewarded the money which was given to them. And there's a great reward for those who have stewarded well, and severe consequences for those for the servant who didn't. There are some pretty clear lines that we can draw from this story. 
and our lives and relationship with God that I think will help us understand stewardship today. First thing I want us to see is that Jesus is the master in this story. It is Jesus' kingdom that we're talking about here, and that he is the one who is Lord of it. In fact, in Philippians 2, 10 and 11, it tells us about the lordship of Christ, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So since we're talking about the kingdom of God, we already know that. We've been saying this whole parable is about the kingdom of heaven. It's clear that Jesus would be the one in charge. And like the master who goes on a long trip and comes back, so Jesus has gone on to heaven and we await his return. The servants are like believers. So they've been entrusted with everything they have from the Lord. And they have different responses to what they are going to go ahead and do with that. But they know that at coming time, there's going to come a time where they're going to have to give account. Like in Philippians 5.10, where it talks about, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will receive whatever we deserve for good or evil. We have, uh, I'm sorry, we will receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So, just to be clear, this is not talking about a salvation issue. This is not talking about your forgiveness, but this is still an incredibly vital issue for us as believers. And it's vital and important because our Savior has died to make this relationship with us possible. He's given us everything of himself. And if we look at that and are willing somehow to take this area of our life and close it off and say, yes, God, I'll give you my life, but not this. How, how much have we really seen the kind of love that he's embracing us with? How much have we really responded to that? How much will it really transform our lives when we go ahead and act like this with different areas of our life? Whether it's finances, whether it's you know, our resources, our giftings, our talents. You know, I think it's really important for us to remember that financial stewardship is much more about self-denial, denial of self, and sacrificing what we want for what God wants in such a way that it affects the rest of our life. Financial stewardship is supposed to be something that teaches us how to be real stewards in other ways in our lives. That teaches us how to give God everything that we have. And this is really important because God, you know, has a plan for everything that we have. Whether it's our gifts, our skills, how we manage our friends, our marriages, children, all that matters to God. And these things matter to God because those children you have were knit together by his hands in their mother's womb. And these things matter because God wants to see your marriages whole and your friends and spouses saved. These things matter because he wants to see you live out the plan he made for you and the purpose he created for you. These things matter because God has blessed you with the resources you possess for his glory, the building of his kingdom, and the salvation of the lost and broken. You know, when we step back, though, and we look at all these areas that we're called to honor God as his stewards, we become overwhelmed quite quickly. To live well in these areas all the time is beyond our ability, honestly. 
we don't have what it takes in ourselves to accomplish this. And that's why Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem before starting out and expanding to the church. Jesus asked them to wait for the Holy Spirit, who he would send to empower them. In Luke 24, 49, he says, And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father had promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. I believe as American Christians, as far as stewardship goes, this is one of our weakest areas. We don't steward well the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can't live out these things without his help. It's in his presence that we receive the power that God is so ready to give us to do what we need to do with our finances and our gifts and in our relationships. Right now, I believe it's important for someone to hear this. God doesn't care who you are or how far you've fallen. God wants to raise you up and restore you to be a blessing to others. He's going to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit as you turn to him and give your life over to him. Jesus has given each of us blessings that we can steward to grow God's kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit. Someone here has the resources needed to fund ministries called to transform our world by reuniting it with Jesus. Someone here has the gift that's needed to help a child really hear the story of Jesus' love for them for the first time. Someone here has the time and energy to pour into a teen who can't figure out who they are and show them how God's given them an identity as his child, a person of worth. Someone here has the skill to lead others in an encounter with their Savior through music and production. Someone here has the ability to meet with that person who's struggling in their marriage and humbly teach them how they were able to hold on to God's promises and love their spouse to Jesus. We all have an ability to support God's church, his kingdom, and respond to Jesus' call. Jesus is returning, like the master in the parable after a long time on his travels. We have a Savior who's going to return. Our Savior, like that master, is coming to hear us give an account for what we've done with the riches he's given us. Let's make sure we're stewarding well all that he's given us. We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? And we're going to move into a time of communion right now. And I just want to encourage you that as you remember the gift that God gave you, as you remember the sacrifice that he made for you of his body and his blood, to ask yourself, and to maybe ask God, is there anything that I have said I won't give to you, Jesus? Is there anything that I've held off as my own, that I've held off as an area that you can't touch? And I want to challenge you today to give that area over to Jesus. Tony's going to be up here on this side, and I'm going to be over here. We would love to pray with you if you feel like that's something that you would like to go ahead and have prayer about. Because that's an important part of moving on your journey towards Jesus. And that's what we're all about here at Journey Church. So would you pray with me as we get ready for communion? God, we are so thankful that you have given us everything that we need. That in you, we could go ahead and have more than what we want. The things that we couldn't get for ourselves, God. The things that everyone in this world, whether rich or poor, are starving for fulfillment, peace, a life that really matters. 
But God, it, it comes at the cost of giving you everything that we have. So Jesus, we just ask that in this time of communion, as we celebrate the love that you have for us, for how you came and sacrificed yourself, your body for us, God, as the bread and your blood for us, as the juice that we're about to drink. God, we just ask that you would go ahead and remind us that we can too turn to you and deny ourselves and sacrifice what we want and see a victory in our lives like nothing we've ever experienced before. God, I pray that you would give us the strength to turn to you and, and tap into what the Holy Spirit has for us this morning. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for all as you're doing. In your name we pray. Amen.